The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, so we are in uh, the second week of a series uh, called Simple, Unclouding the Christian Faith. And the idea behind this series is we want to look at these things that are core to our faith as Christians, core to what we believe uh, to be true about God and the world and how things work, but these things that are so core that can sometimes get a little cloudy can sometimes get a little messy. So we want to take these things that are incredibly important and, and, and decloud them. We want to clarify them. We want to see them uh, clearly. And so last week, uh, we unclouded the person of Jesus Christ. We looked at who he is, who he claimed to be, and what that means for us. Uh, this week, we're going to uncloud the gospel. The gospel. And, and so having a clear understanding of the gospel is imperative. It's imperative. Uh, and why is that? First of all, it's the central message of the Christian faith, right? It's, it's, it's what we stand on, it's what we proclaim, it's, it's why we exist as a people, it's why we gather. The gospel is our basis as God's people today. But what is it exactly? Uh, well, to be honest, it is, it is multifaceted, right? The gospel, man, it's a diamond. You can just look at it for years and years and years, and you'll see, oh, I didn't see this fast before, I didn't see this before, and, it, and it's just the most beautiful thing in the world. But today, I want to look at three particular pieces to it, and, and they're this, all right? First of all, the gospel is universal good news, universal good news that demands a personal response, that's secondly, and third, has cosmic implications, all right? It's universal good news, demands a personal response, has cosmic implications, and so let's just dive right into it, all right? I hope you just came with your thinking caps on, we're just hopping in, no fun story, here we go. Uh, so uh, verse 14 says this, now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. All right, so this text says, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came and he proclaimed the gospel of God. Now the word gospel there is the, the Greek word euangelion, uh, and it literally means good news, good news. Uh, but in that context, at that time in the Roman Empire, it was a very particular kind of good news. See, what would happen is if a, a new Caesar came to power, or if, if a Caesar had a son, or if Rome expanded their empire a little bit further, what would happen is these, these messengers, these guys would go to the far reaches of the empire. They were called evangels, these messengers, uh, the first Twitter. And they'd go to the, the far reaches of the empire, and, and they'd say, I, I've got a euangelion. I've got good news. There's a new king in town. The empire is growing. There's a new king running the show. And so what this text says today is that Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming the euangelion, proclaiming the good news, not of Rome, but of God. But of God. And so the first thing we see is that the gospel is universal good news. It's news. Recognize the importance of this. See, Jesus' primary message wasn't, hey, do these things in order to get right with God. Jesus' primary message wasn't, hey, the truth is coming, so stay tuned, pay close attention, the truth is coming. That wasn't his primary message. No, no, no. Jesus' primary message was reportage. It was news. It was something has happened. It was the good news of God. And this is what that good news was. That God is in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to himself. That God is in Jesus bringing everyone back to him. And see, here's why it matters that it's news. Uh, so my, my senior year of college, I somehow ended up in, in leadership in campus ministry. Uh, 
God is just continually gracious in my life. And, and so, and we had, at my school, we had a, a large number of international students. And, and so I thought, well, you know, we, we should talk to these international students about the gospel and, and, and um, have a Bible study with them. And so that was kind of my, my go-to thing for the year was I was like, I'm going to get this up and running. And, and so, man, I hit it hard. I, I was like, you know, we'll have a party. We'll invite all the international students. They can come. And then anyone that wants to stick around, we'll do a Bible study. And so, like, I hit it hard. I went to every uh, class. I went to ESL classes. I talked to ESL tu- tutors. I hung up flyers. I handed out flyers. I invited everyone I could. And, and the day of this party arrived, and I had one student show up. One, right? It was junior high all over again. And, uh, and, and so there I am, but I was like, you know, all right, God, this one guy showed up, let's, let's make it uh, worth a while. And so he and I sat down, and me and him, and like, this is a pile of cookies and chips, it was awful. Um, but at any rate, and so we sat down, and, and I said, hey, man, can you share with me your faith background? Like, where are you coming from? What's, what's religion looked like in your life? That sort of thing. And he said, well, you know, I was raised in, in a Buddhist home. And, and he said, for me, you know, life, he said, in, in, in uh, the home I was raised in, our goal is, is to follow the eightfold path. To follow the eightfold path, that's our goal. And then he asked me a question that I had never once thought of before in my entire life. And he said, Gabe, what's the goal of the Christian faith? What's the goal of the Christian faith? And I don't know how you would answer that, uh, but it took me back. And, and I thought about it for a second. And I told him, I said, well, I, I suppose our goal is to love. Our, our, our goal is to, to love others and to love God. Uh, but then I added this. I said, but I said, the reality is Christianity isn't, it's not really about achieving or, or working towards a goal. Like really, bottom line, that Christianity, the, the point is that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, has accomplished everything for us. That the goal's already taken care of, and we just rest in his grace. You see, it's good news. It's news. It's reportage of what God has done for us. It's not about what we need to do. It's it's about what God has done for us in Jesus. It's not a good list of rules. The gospel's not a good list of morals. It's not a good idea. It's good news. It's good news. And the good news, once again, is that God is bringing the world back to him through Jesus Christ. But it's not just good news, it's universal good news. It means it's for everybody. It's for all people. I mean, did you notice when Jesus starts, it's just a fire hose, man. He's just out there proclaiming the gospel of God. Anyone that's going to hear him, anyone that's going to listen, they're going to hear the good news of Jesus. It's for everybody. So when I was in seminary, uh, my, my buddy John and I would, every once in a while, we, we'd go to this real seedy bar in St. Louis uh, called CBGB. It's related to the one famous one in New York by name only, so don't get excited um, for the four of you that know what it is. Okay, so at any rate, um, and, uh, you know, it's it just real seedy, stiff drinks, cash only, really uh, rougher looking clientele. But for, for John and I, man, it was like paradise. It was paradise because uh, we both grew up from some, in some interesting subcultures. I, I kind of came up in the Detroit punk scene, and, and he was in the, the Chicago goth industrial scene. And so as you might imagine, those are atypical backgrounds in seminary, uh, is, is probably the most charitable way I can put it. And, and so every once in a while, we'd just get kind of sick of the rampant nerd fest that is seminary, and, and, and we'd go to this bar, to CBGB. And, and so we'd go there because we liked it, we loved it, and it was, it, was, it was a place that sort of fit what we knew and where we were coming from, and, and it was great. But almost every time we went, 
we actually had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. It started with just a place for us to escape, and it ended up being this place where God allowed us to bring the gospel to people who would never walk through the doors of a church. It was awesome. It was, it was just rough folks, and I'd say, hey, what do you do? Be like, well, we're in grad school, because if you say seminary right away, that's the end of the conversation, right? Grad school, okay. Studying theology, okay. Why? To be a pastor? Oh, all right, see you later. No, we, if, if, if they stuck around, uh, we, we were able to, to share who Jesus was with them. And, and I just love that because these are folks that, that may never, never walk through the doors of a church, but the gospel is still for them. The gospel is universal. It's for all people. It's not just for religious people. It's not just for moral people. It's not just for people on the western part of the globe. It's not just for intellectuals. It's not just for people who don't have brains. It's for all people. It's universal. But what we see is that this universal good news in our text, it's universal good news, but it demands a personal response. It's for everyone, but the individual is meant to respond to it. Look with me at the next verse, verse 15. Jesus is speaking and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. All right, so Jesus says the time is fulfilled. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so there's universal good news, but it's not enough to just acknowledge it. It's not enough to just recognize that it's out there. It demands a response. And what's the response that the gospel demands? Repent and believe. Two parts of it, repent and believe. So let's just break that down real quick. Uh, the word repent in the Greek is metanoeo, right? See, man, it's only two verses today, so I get to do all the Greek. So uh, Anyway, so metanoeo, meta means to change. So you think like metamorphosis, right? So, and then noeo means to think. And so to repent is literally to change your thinking. And so Jesus says, hey, here's the good news. God is setting the world right through me. You need to change your thinking. You need to repent. Now, what exactly do we need to change in our thinking? What do we need to repent of? What's the deal? What's he talking about? What about our thinking needs to change? Well, the reality is, Scripture consistently speaks to this truth. That we have all turned away from God. That God has, has set a way for the world to work. He's set a way for our lives to work. He's, he's called us to live a certain way. And every single one of us has said, I'd rather not. And we've turned our lives away from him. We've turned our minds away from him. And so Jesus says you got to repent. you got to change your thinking. you got to turn the other way. And when we turn away from God, though, the Bible calls this sin, right? Hamartia is the word in Greek. It literally means to miss the mark. This idea that there's a way for all of us to live and none of us do it. St. Augustine said we sin when we love a lesser good as opposed to God, the higher good. Martin Luther defines sin as homo incurvatus in se, that we're curved in on ourselves, that we're all navel gazers. Kierkegaard said sin is when we try to find our identity and who we are in anything else but God. However you want to define it, the bottom line is the great thinkers throughout history and every single person here, whether or not you call yourself a Christian, you know that there's something deeply flawed with the human condition. That morally we don't do what we're supposed to do. That we don't live the lives that we're supposed to live. That there is something deeply wrong with us. And so Jesus shows up and he says, repent. Repent. Change your thinking. Own up to the reality that you're just living for you. 
Repent. Stop just doing whatever you want and recognize that there's a God who knows better than you. Repent. Stop pursuing sin and brokenness. It's not helping you at all. Repent. Change your thinking. Now listen, if that was the extent of Jesus' command to us in this text, we could all just kind of sit here and and wallow in self-pity. But Jesus adds this beautiful word, right? He says, repent and believe. Believe. Well, believe what? Well, he tells us, he says, believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news that God is reconciling the world back to himself through the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, he says, turn from your sin and turn towards God. Turn from your brokenness and place your trust in Jesus. Now, when Jesus first preached this message, he, of course, hadn't yet died for the sins of the world and rose from the grave three days later, but the point remains the same. His point is this, the good news, God is up to something new. God is healing the world. Turn from your sin, place your trust in me, find your hope in me, place your identity in me. Now see, do you get this? This this is the gospel. It's very, very simple, right? It's very simple. It's repent of your sin and trust in Jesus' uh, salvation, for salvation. Trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross for your salvation. Repent of your sin, trust in Jesus. Trust in him as your Lord and Savior. That's it. That's it. It's very simple. But you realize how often we mess that up? And how easy it is to mess that up? And we tend to do it in two ways. I just want to break them down real quick. The first way is what I'd call the religious way. That's how I messed it up the religious way. So I've got a buddy who is, uh, is no longer a Christian, and, and here's why. He told me the story. So uh, when he was, he was 10, uh, he was baptized. And, and so when he was baptized, the, the pastor that baptized him pulled him aside and said, hey, well, now that you're baptized, uh, you've got to start speaking in tongues. And, like, he couldn't, didn't, you know, whatever, didn't do it. And so the message he then received from that church was, well, then you're not really saved. I guess it didn't stick. Right? He's like, well, enough of that. I'm out of here. Right? And see, more than likely, if you go to this church, speaking in tongues is not really your deal anyways, right? But, but how often do we start to think that about other people? How could that person really be a Christian? How could they really be saved if they wrestle with that sin? If they vote for that political party? If they hang out with those people? If they don't do all the religious activity that I do? If they didn't have some emotional high experience at a camp one time? How could they possibly be saved if they didn't have that list of things? See, we add religion to the gospel and impose it on people. Or maybe you don't do it to, to other people. Maybe you do it to yourself. You say, hey, man, how, how could I possibly be a Christian when I messed up that badly? How could I possibly trust in Jesus for my salvation when I haven't been to church in like 10 years? How could God possibly love me when I've made such a mess of my life? You see, what you're doing there is you're adding religion to the gospel. You're adding things to the gospel. Listen, the gospel is the good news that Jesus has done it all for you. Just trust in him. That's it. It's that simple. Don't add rules to mess it up. The other way we mess up the gospel is we relativize it. Is we minimize the necessity of repentance We fail to see the weight of our own sin. We shrink the costliness of grace. And we avoid the exclusivity of the cross. So a couple weeks ago, I was talking with another friend of mine who's also no longer a Christian. I guess the lesson is, don't be my friend. Uh, And so so she she grew up in a Christian home, but I asked her, I said, so what's the deal? Why why are you walking away away from, from God right now? And she said, I, I just got to tell you, Gabe, like, I, I, I can't accept the, the exclusivity of the cross. 
that, that, that we're, we're loved only through Jesus' death on the cross for us. She said, I just believe that God loves everyone. I said, okay, well, I believe God loves everyone too. I said, but, but how do you know that God loves everyone? And she said, I don't know, he just does, you know, kumbaya. And, and I didn't say this then because I'm not that smart, but I've been reflecting on it later. And, and I, what I wish I would have said is this. See, God's love must be exclusively through the cross. And you know why? Because true love costs something. Right? For God to love me despite me, he had to pay the highest price possible. And that's his son on the cross. See, love has to cost something. I mean, I think about it like this. Uh, whenever the day comes and, and my little girl Lila is going to get married and some schmo comes to my house and asks for her hand, guess what, man? He better fork over some dollars for an engagement ring. But even more importantly than that, he better be ready to give all that he has for the welfare of my baby girl. Right? I'm not going to settle for anything less for her. Anything less is an inferior love. And see, what's amazing to me is that on the cross of Jesus, God says the same thing to you. He says, I'm not going to settle for a lesser love. In order to make you mine forever, I paid the ultimate price. I gave my son over to the hands of sinful men to be tortured and killed that I might know you and forgive you and be with you forever. That's how much I love you. See, don't lessen the gospel by relativizing it. And don't distort the gospel by adding rules to it. Jesus' message is really simple. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. But wait, there's more. So the gospel is universal good news that demands a personal response and has cosmic implications. Look with me again at verse 15. It says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. All right, so on a personal level, Jesus calls us to repent and believe in him, but his, in his proclamation of the gospel, Jesus makes it clearer, or makes it clear that it's more than just the saving of individuals. The gospel is more than just the saving of individuals. It's not less than that, but it's definitely more than that. And so did you catch what he says? He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what is that about? What's the, the kingdom of God? Well, throughout the Bible, the first half of the Bible, the, the Old Testament, there's this promise that God is going to send his Messiah. And that when the Messiah comes, he's going to bring about the healing rule and reign of God. He's going to bring about the kingdom of God. That, that he's going to fix everything in creation. That all the, the brokenness we see, all the sufferings and groaning we see in the natural world, we see in our society, we see around the globe, we see in our own psyches. God says, when my Messiah comes, he's going to set things right. My healing rule and reign is going to be here. The kingdom of God is going to be at hand. It's mentioned all over the Old Testament. One of my favorite passages of it is Isaiah 25. I just want to share a little bit of it with you. It says this, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. 
And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that, on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Man, like how great is that picture? Right? Like death is swallowed up forever. We're hanging out on some mountain, eating good food and drinking wine. Like who doesn't want in on that? Right? It's awesome. And what Jesus says in our text is that the time is fulfilled. This time, the kingdom of God is at hand. He says the healing rule and reign of God is here. It's coming through me. I'm the one who brings about the kingdom of God. And now I say that and someone says, hold up, buddy. Hold up. You're saying Jesus brought about the kingdom of God. I don't know if you noticed, but like the world is still a mess, right? People selling baby parts, mass shootings, creation being mistreated, natural disasters. Like, like what do you mean Jesus brought about this peaceful kingdom? What, what, what are you talking about? Agreed. God's kingdom is not fully here yet. But what Jesus is saying is that in him, the new kingdom is launched that it's begun, that this new way of, of being in the world can happen through him right now in anticipation of the day when he fully restores everything, when it's all made right. And so, uh, so I'm an auditory learner, but I understand most people are visual, and so I asked Tanner to put together a slide that sort of helps us see the cosmic and personal dimensions of the gospel, right? And so you see here that, that this is a, a, a timeline of God's Healing rules. So, so here we are, there's creation, fall, the world fell apart, redemption, Jesus came and launched it, and one day we're waiting for that restoration on the other end of things. You see, it's, it's not just about individual souls. God is in the business of renewing all of creation. And see, I emphasize this because those of you that, that have maybe been Christians for a while, you may have been like falling asleep on the first part of this sermon, like, yes, you know, we've, we've heard this before. Uh, I understand how it works on a personal level. But you get how important it is that we see how it works on a cosmic level. You see, when, when you get your need for the gospel just as an individual and how much you need Jesus to save you and you need his forgiveness and you need his grace, that's step one. But then you see, oh my gosh, God is at work in the entire world. He's doing something bigger. And that absolutely shapes how you engage his world. Because you can live now as someone anticipating that kingdom of healing and, and God's peace being throughout the, all of creation. Let me just say this, it's not necessarily grandiose gestures that we're called to right now. It's oftentimes very, very simple things. Uh, so let me just uh, brag on my friend Drew. So I, uh, I started my work as a chaplain for the Austin Aztecs, local professional soccer team here, and uh, mostly I, it's, it's just making friends is, is kind of my job, so it's awesome. Um, and then uh, but so one of the, the first friends I've made on this team is this guy, Drew, and, and he's a, a very strong Christian. He's the starting number 10 uh, for the Aztecs. For those of you who don't know what that is, Minor Baker will teach you after worship. Um, and so, so he's the starting number 10 for the Aztecs and very strong Christian. And, and what I love about him is seeing the gospel played out in his life because he does two things, the, two conversations I've had with him. The first one goes like this. I said, uh, you know, Drew, you're playing soccer, like, how's that been for you? Like, what's that like being a professional soccer player? And he goes, Gabe, well, I got to tell you, he said, I, I love playing soccer. I love what I get to do. But he said, I just got to be honest. I just want everyone to know Jesus. That's all I think about. He said, whenever I walk around, I just, oh, man, I wish that guy knew the Lord. I wish that guy knew the Lord. And that's just how his mind works because he's, he's so smitten by the fact that God would choose him. 
He's so captured by the gospel personally. But then this past week, I sent him a text, and, and I said, hey, bro, what can I, can I pray for you for your match coming up this Saturday? Last night, they, they played against Portland Timbers too. Uh, and I said, what can I pray for you for? And he said this. I just want to quote him. Um, he said, pray that we would play free and that the Lord would teach us how to serve each other. Now, after watching the game last night, he maybe should have prayed for better refs. But, um, but, but I love that, man. He says, pray that we'd play free and pray that the Lord would teach us how to serve each other. Just think about this with me. How awesome is that? Like, who doesn't want that guy on your team? Right? Who doesn't want that guy in your office? Can you imagine if you had a coworker saying, man, I pray the Lord would teach us how to serve each other in this place. Can you imagine if your spouse was praying that? Man, I pray the Lord would teach our family how to serve one another. You see, that's the gospel, personal and cosmic. Like, do you get that? Do you get that when you serve other people, it anticipates the day when we'll all live in harmony with one another? Do you get that, that when you raise your kids well, you're anticipating the day when we'll all be living under the reign of our perfect Father in heaven? Do you get that when you care for God's earth right now? That you're showing your love to the creator and redeemer of all things. You see, the personal aspect of the gospel frees us from sin. But the cosmic aspect of the gospel frees us from an empty life right now and into eternity. And all this goodness comes to us through our Lord Jesus. And so may we put our faith in him this day and always. If y'all pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for the gospel. For the good news that you sent your son Jesus to bring us back to you. That we were far from you, but you came down and got us. And so, Lord, I, I pray at this time for my friends, for those who maybe feel far off from you, that they would see that in Jesus you, uh, that they can be brought near to you. May they put their trust in him. And, Lord, I pray for my friends who, who, who trust in Jesus for a long time but are trying to figure out their purpose and place in this world. May they see that you are in the business of establishing your kingdom, of doing a new thing, and may they live with an anticipation of the day when you set the world right. Lord, help us to live in light of the gospel. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.